0: my uh, first purpose tonight is to spend some time in God's Word. My second purpose is to try to do it quickly. There are are some uh, reputations that uh, don't sit well with me, and um, brevity is not one of my reputations, but we will see. Find the word and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24. I will be reading from the New American Standard Version, so what you have will likely be a bit different, but I think you will follow just fine. I've, um, um, among my hobbies is to ask the question, what is it like on the backside of a great event? How, how was your Easter Sunday? Great? Ah, mine was great. Just fabulous music at my church. Well. <laughs> my wife consented to sing with me and it was, we just had the best time. Easter Sunday morning is wonderful. It is wonderful. But stepping back a a pace and saying, okay, okay, what are all the people out there saying? And 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 one of the things I can hear them saying, there go those Christians again with their preoccupation about crucifixion, death, and resurrection. (laughs) There they go again. And I say, you're wrong, you're absolutely wrong. It is not a preoccupation. It is an obsession. <laughs> I, am, I am absolutely obsessed with what Jesus did for me. And it was a celebration in my heart that went all the way down deep. And it's still there. And I like it that way. So, little wonder that, uh, that uh, as God was preparing me for this sermon... I was a bit confused, Sunday and even before that, because because he was guiding me to a point that showed that the first disciples were not having a good time on Easter Sunday morning. Now, I I don't want to push it too far, but if you start counting words, or counting verses, or counting chapters, or counting pages, in, in my Bible, in each of the four Gospel accounts, The gospel account about the resurrection itself is about this long. And then everything else after that goes on and on and on and on. And really, the part about what Jesus did is pretty easy. He just rose. That's what he did. He just rose. That's that's it. And the rest rest of the story unwinds verse after verse after verse, trying to make sense for us about what that meant. I mean, it's there. You, you, can, you can look at it. And, and again, I, I, I don't think that one story is more important because it's this long and another one is not as important because it's only this long. I, I don't think that's the criteria necessarily. But there has to be something in the fact that really it was that on the first day of the week, when the women came, the stone was rolled back. He wasn't there. That's it. Wow! And after that, on and on and on about how we poor mortals were trying to figure this thing out. And we still are. But I want to take some time. I almost call this sermon, Appearances. Because when you look in uh, the four Gospel accounts, Matthew doesn't make an awful lot about the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, but Mark? And Luke and John take a lot of time talking about how Jesus appeared to them, and he appeared to them, and he appeared to them, and it begins to... John even counts them. This was his final appearance, it says. So appearances must have been important, but instead I, I want to move to just one story. And we're going to call it the distinction of the burning heart. So let's read it, and I'm going to let the word speak if I may, and then I'll add what little bit extra I would like to point to. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, beginning verse 13. And behold, two of them, the disciples, not the eleven by the way, but two of the other disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And... And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with each other as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the, the things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and, to, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death, and crucified him. But but we were hoping that it was he who who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. (laughs) But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him, him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now already is, is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven, and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, and has appeared to Simon. And they then began to relate their experience on the road, and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. What a powerful story this is. And and I'd like to point out just very quickly that there is a powerful distinction in this story, because the story began with the disciples in doubt, and it ended, at least with these two, owning a burning heart. And my question is, to what extent does this speak to us? Now, just to let you know how my thought processes go, when I'm preparing the scripture for, for preaching or for study or give a lesson, there, there are a number of questions I ask, but the three most important ones are this. What does this portion of Scripture tell me about God and how He deals with humankind? The second thing is, how do people in general and the groups within which I live and work, how, how does this Scripture reveal what they are like? What does it say about them? And then finally, what does it say about me? Uh, ultimately, uh, God's Holy Spirit wrote this book for me. I, I don't mean that... Uh, individually, but I do mean it personally. You see, though he wrote it for, for all believers everywhere, and he also wrote it for unbelievers, uh, the fact is, in a very personal way, his Holy Spirit wants to make sure that it's mine. And so when I look in this, I say, okay, wh- what does this tell me about God? And Jesus is here, and we see him, and I, I I think that he is the one who is the appearing one. Uh, he is the one who who enters into the sad times and the woes and the difficult times? He even comes in the midst of doubt and he interacts with us. Uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful God who sent a powerful Savior to deal with us in our need. Uh, but what does it say also, this portion of Scripture, about uh, humankind and how God deals with, with people generally? first of all, he reveals himself. Oh, you say, it looks to me like he hid himself. In, in, interesting in this, one must be careful. When it's said that their eyes uh, were not allowed to see him, do not assume necessarily that that was God's work in hiding the identity of Jesus from them. And now, when, when talking about interesting things. I I really believe it has to do with the fact that Jesus was in his uh, glorified body already, but that is just speculation. I believe they looked at him as hard as they could, and they just couldn't see him. But it's also possible they didn't see him because their minds weren't ready to see him as they needed to. And that's probably the most likely message of this whole story. And so uh, as they were talking, and he was evidently listening at first, he said, what in the world are you, you men talking about? And they said, you've got to be kidding. Everybody knows what's been going on. You evidently haven't been tuning in to CNN or something because uh, everybody knows what's going on. And so uh, they talked about it. But I want you to see here that in some ways this this is all a, um, all a paradigm of doubt. If you run up to the first part of chapter 24, it, when the women first went to the tomb and came back and told them. It says, in, in, in Luke at least, it says, These, the, the words of the women sounded to the men like nonsense. Now, just so that we can get this over with. <laughs> I have a list here in which uh, I talk about what doubt is related to and what a burning heart is related to. Um, one of my points was going to be, and I took it out, but I'll give it to you anyway, is that the men did not listen to the women. I took it out because I thought it was inflammatory. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble, I know I am. Uh, well, too, maybe not. We'll see here. Someone said it was too late. We'll see. Um, first of all, let me talk to the men a little bit. Women you're going to listen. I know you are anyway, but men, if you think that you have the answers because you're male, you are dead wrong. And I'm telling you that. Now, there will be other people tell you that too, but I'm telling you that it is true. I don't think that the Holy Spirit necessarily intended that message to come out here. But uh, we're all in this together, and God has gifted us all differently. And if you don't find some way to use all the gifts that God has provided his people with in your ministry, then you are foolish, 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 and we ought not to give you your degree. Now, women, just be patient with the guys, will you? Please, <laughs> please, please. Now, just so you understand, I have heard preachers make, make a case for that kind of, that kind of preaching uh, and, and really silly stuff otherwise, but this is, this is true, so stick with it. Let me, let me move on. Let's, let me give you what it is about doubt and a burning heart that I think must go together. First of all, doubt and confusion are related. Doubt and confusion are related. There is, n- there is no question at all but the doubt of the disciples in this situation, and, and we'll talk about doubt in a minute with some scripture verses. There's no doubt there was part of it was, was confusion. They were confused, and they seemed to hold on to it desperately because to see any answer other than than what their confusion would seem to suggest was beyond them. Doubt and confusion are connected. I do need to spend a bit of time here talking about doubt. We typically believe doubt is that thing which is outright rejection of any proposition. And the proposition that Jesus Christ could be alive was one that they were not willing to accept. But their doubt was not outright suggestion, their doubt was the kind of doubt that is debilitating, it is weakening, it saps your spiritual energy, it leaves you in confusion, it catches you up between two different decisions, neither one of them seems to be right, and so one just hangs there. And that is a form of doubt, because it keeps you from moving forward in faith, and it is probably the most dangerous form of doubt. Very, very few of us will be caught up in the problems of doubt that has to do with whether or not God exists and whether or not the ontological proofs for the existence of God have any validity, etc., etc., etc. We're past that point. But where the, the tempter would get us is to catch us in that sort of doubt that keeps us from moving forward in faith. So doubt and confusion are related. Secondly... Doubt and sadness are related. Did you hear that in the story? When Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? said they stood there in sadness. If you let sadness conquer you, it is also a form of doubt because it washes your faith away and makes it of no power. Sadness and doubt are connected. Number three, doubt and bad memory are related. I don't don't mean that you can't remember, but that you refuse to remember. Again and again and again, in the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it finally tells us that the disciples finally remembered. They finally remembered. There is even some places where Jesus looks at them and seems to be saying, What's wrong with you? Didn't I tell you it would be like this? And they scratch their heads, and then they remembered. What a wonderful thing it is to remember, and to do it intentionally, systematically, and intellectually, and spiritually, to work at it. Whichever number is next. Uh, by the way, just on that last point, in John chapter 2, verse 22, John was writing, and he was talking about this, and he said, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had, that he had said this, and they believed the Scriptures, and the words which Jesus had spoken. They finally remembered. Number four, doubt and misplaced priority are related. Um, But we were hoping, they said. All this bad, and he was killed, and, and we were hoping. We were hoping. What a wondrous thing it is when finally we shed all of our ambitions and dreams and finally say, God, whatever you want to do is just fine with me. Now this this past week lying in bed early in the morning which is when I do my best praying it seems the holy spirit came up to me and he said thank you for giving me permission but it's not the right kind of permission i asked him what he meant he said you are giving me permission as if i were the chauffeur and you were in the back seat saying you drive better than i do god so i'm willing to let you take the wheel But I reserve the right at any time to call a halt to this. He said, I want the kind of permission that says, God, I relinquish it all. There is no turning back in your position. And he was right. And I had to say it again. My priorities are now yours, God. More important, I have no priorities except yours. It's not that yours are best. They're the only, and that's just fine. When you finally get to that place, there can be no failure as long as you're moving forward to accomplish what he wants. Uh, Number five, doubt and willfulness are related. Uh, In the story, we read it, Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. Uh, The heart typically is in reference to our will. Uh, Not to our affections, but to our will. Except that maybe it is our affections because it's what we love most about this and when and when we're willful it's the fact that we're serving the wrong love but he said it a different way entirely he said you're slow of heart you're holding back you're dragging your feet understanding is in your within your grasp and you are refusing to do it willfulness and doubt are related But these men came out with burning hearts and let me tell you what this story talks about in terms of a burning heart first of all it says that mutual encouragement is related to a burning heart look look in that uh, the one verse verse uh, 32. and they said to one another were not our hearts burning within us Uh, a number of years ago I was in a church, you've got to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn. And they stood up and sang a little chorus that said, we really do, we really do, we really do need each other. And I sat down and stopped singing. Because in that same church, I had sung, Jesus, you're all I need. And I didn't think I could sing both songs, and shouldn't at least, you know, one, one way or the other it ought to be. I've grown up since, but I've not changed, in that regard at least. But I do want to point out that God uses us to encourage others and if you will be very careful when i it's a long sermon but but the short version of it is this that god calls me to serve others he does not call others to serve me and if you ever catch that that principle you'll be a long way down the road so mutual encouragement is related to a burning heart number two Hearing from Jesus is related to a burning heart. In fact, that's what they said right from the very beginning. Did not our hearts burn within us when he was talking to us on the road? I... um, I have prayed with a number of people, and so have you, who have become so discouraged. And their story will go something like this. See if you don't recognize it. It goes something like this. I, I heard God's call, I fought against it, but I finally gave into it. And when I did, God said, Come to Nazarene Bible College. So I, I was full of passion and enthusiasm and excitement, and I, I packed my my car or my truck or whatever and I moved to Colorado Springs and I enrolled at the Bible College and then I began reading 500,000 pages of books and taking tests and cramming for quizzes and doing papers and working two jobs and I just flat ran out of gas and I I just really need to recapture that passion and excitement and enthusiasm again. My brothers and sisters, don't even try. Don't even try. On Wednesday or so before the crucifixion, they had a great day. I can just hear Cleopas talking. He said, I was so pumped on Wednesday. It was a great time. And if you, if the only way that you can have a burning heart is to have to go back before Easter again, it's a lost cause. These men had a burning heart not because they went back to where they were, because they'd heard from Jesus again. And there is a level of spiritual victory that comes not because you've come face on with a really hard thing in your life and you've, Thought it out and now everything is fine, and you're euphoric because you had victory. Oh, that's good. And you need to have those times. But the best sort of burning heart is the kind that every time you open up His Word and it speaks to you, you say, Oh, my heart is burning. That's the best time. That's the best time because it doesn't depend on whether you're up or you're down. It doesn't depend on whether someone's patting you on the back. It depends on whether you listen to Jesus. And when you hear from Jesus, you'll know it because your heart will burn. Your heart will burn. Hearing from Jesus is related to a burning heart. Moving on with Christ is related to a burning heart. I, I, maybe I'm pushing this a bit far. But they went on with him. They wanted to hear more. It was, it was in the direction they should go. They moved on with Christ. Number four, having the Spirit of Christ himself explain the Scriptures to us is related to a burning heart. There are many ways to read Scripture. You've experienced a number of them. But the one that is most important is when you and the Holy Spirit sit down with a book. And he begins with Moses and the prophets and explains all of it to you. And you know you've heard from him because it's the Word. Somehow, finally, recognizing Christ in the everyday affairs of life is related to a burning heart. What they said when they saw the apostles again, listen to it carefully, verse 35. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how Jesus was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. I know it's a different kind of burning heart. Maybe it's not the kind that, that you needed to get you off the launching pad and get you here. But this kind of burning heart is the kind of burning heart that will take you into ministry. It will make you reach out to people who are sick and hurting and hungry. People who are lost and broken. And you'll touch them in Jesus' name and you'll realize that when you're in the presence of their immortal soul, that you're on holy ground. And then... Your heart will be God's altar and his love will be the flame. Father, speak to us and help us now to see you. Not in the mystical ways so much as in the the ways of life, To know the miracle of your transformation. Would you do that for us, Father? In Jesus' name. Amen.